Little Women, Chapter 9, Meg Goes to Vanity Fair. I do think it was the most fortunate thing in the world that those children should have the measles just now, said Meg, one April day as she stood packing. And so nice of Annie Moffat not to forget her promise. A whole fortnight of fun will be splendid, replied Joe. I wish I was going to have a fine time and wear all these nice things, said Amy, her mouth full of pins. I wish you were all going. You've all been so kind, lending me things and helping me get ready, said Meg, glancing around the room. What did Mother give you out of the treasure box? asked Amy, who had not been present at the opening of the cedar chest in which Mrs. Mrs. March kept a few relics of past splendor as gifts for the girls. A pair of silk stockings, that pretty carved fan, and a lovely blue sash. I wanted the violet silk, but there isn't time to make it over, so I must be content with my old tartelin. It will look nicely over my new muslin skirt, and the sash will set it off beautifully, said Joe. There is a lovely old-fashioned pearl set in the treasure box, but Mother said real flowers were prettiest ornaments for a young girl, and Lori promised to send me all I want, replied Meg. Now let me see. There's my new gray walking suit, then my poplin for Sunday, and the small party. It looks heavy for spring, doesn't it? The violet silk would be so nice. Never mind. You've got the tartelin for the big party, and you always look like an angel in white, said Amy. It isn't low-necked, and it doesn't sweep enough, but it will have to do. My blue house dress looks so well turned and freshly trimmed that I feel as if I had a new one. My bonnet doesn't look like Sally's. I didn't like to say anything, but I was sadly disappointed in my umbrella. I told Mother black with a white handle, but she forgot and bought a green one with a yellowish handle. It's strong and neat, so I ought not to complain. But I know I shall feel ashamed of it beside Annie's silk one with the gold top, sighed Meg. Change it, advised Joe. I won't be so silly or hurt Marmy's feelings. My silk stockings and two pairs of new gloves are my comfort. You are a dear to lend me yours, Joe. The next day was fine, and Meg departed in style for a fortnight of novelty and pleasure. The Moffats were very fashionable, and Meg was rather daunted at first by the splendor of the house and the elegance of its occupants. But they were kindly people, and soon put their guests at ease. It was agreeable to do nothing but enjoy herself, and suited her exactly. Soon she began to imitate the manners and conversation of those about her, to put on little airs and graces, use French phrases, crimp her hair, and take in her dresses. The more Meg saw of Annie Moffat's pretty things, the more she envied her and sighed to be rich. The three young girls shopped, walked, rode, and called all day, and went to the theater and opera or frolicked at home in the evening. Annie's older sisters were very fine young ladies, and one was engaged. Mr. Moffat knew Meg's father, and Mrs. Moffat petted her. Daisy, as they called her, was in a fair way to have her head turned. When the evening for the small party came, Megan found that the poplin wouldn't do it all, for the other girls were putting on thin dresses. So out came the tartelin, looking older and shabbier than ever beside Sally's crisp new one. Meg saw the girls glance at it, and then one another, and her cheeks burned, for she was proud. No one said a word about it. But Sally offered to dress her hair, and Annie to tie her sash, and Belle, the engaged sister, praised her white arms. In their kindness, Meg saw only pity for her poverty, and her heart was heavy. The hard, bitter feeling was getting pretty bad when the maid brought in a box of flowers. Before she could speak, Annie had the cover off, and all were exclaiming at the lovely roses and ferns. "'It's for Belle!' cried Annie. "'George always sends her some.' They are for Miss March, the man said. 
And here's a note, put in the maid, holding it out to Meg. What fun! Who are they from? cried the girls. The note is from Mother, the flowers from Lori, said Meg simply. Oh, indeed, said Annie, with a funny look as Meg slipped the note into her pocket as sort of a talisman against envy. Feeling almost happy again, she laid by a few ferns and roses for herself and quickly made up the rest in dainty bouquets for her friends. She enjoyed herself very much that evening, for she danced to her heart's content. She had a nice time until she overheard a bit of conversation, which disturbed her extremely. She was sitting just inside the conservatory, waiting for her partner to bring her an ice, when she heard a voice on the other side of the flowery wall ask, "'How old is he?' Sixteen or seventeen, I should say,' replied another voice." It would be a grand thing for one of those girls, wouldn't it? Sally says the old man dotes on them. Mrs. M has her plans, I dare say, and will play her cards well, early as it is. The girl evidently doesn't think of it yet, said Mrs. Moffat. She told that fib about her mamma as if she did know, and colored when the flowers came. Poor thing. She'd be so nice if only she got up in style. Do you think she'd be offended if we offered to lend her a dress for Thursday? asked another voice. She's proud, but I don't believe she'd mind, for that dowdy tartlin is all she has. She may tear it tonight, and that will be a good excuse for offering a decent one. We'll see. I shall ask young Lawrence as a compliment to her, and we'll have fun about it afterwards. Here Meg's partner appeared, to find her looking flushed and agitated. Her pride was useful then, for it helped her hide her anger and disgust at what she had heard. She tried to forget it, but she could not. Poor Meg had a restless night and got up heavy-eyed and unhappy. She was half ashamed of herself for not speaking out frankly and setting everything right. As the girls sat at their worsted work, Miss Bell looked up from her writing and said, "'Daisy, dear, I've sent an invitation to your friend Mr. Lawrence for Thursday. We should like to know him, and it's only a proper compliment to you.' Meg colored, but a mischievous fancy to tease the girls made her reply demurely. "'You are very kind, but I'm afraid he won't come.' "'Why not, Cher?' asked Miss Bell. "'He's too old.' "'Why, what do you mean? What is his age?' asked Miss Clara. "'Nearly seventy, I believe,' answered Meg. "'You sly creature! We meant the young man!' exclaimed Miss Bell. "'There isn't any. Laurie's only a boy,' Meg said. "'About your age,' Nan said. "'Near my sister Joe's. I'm seventeen in August,' returned Meg. "'What shall you wear Thursday?' asked Sally, changing the subject. "'My old white one again, if I can mend it.' It got sadly torn last night, said Meg, trying to speak easily. Why don't you send home for another, asked Sally. I haven't got any other. That cost Meg an effort. Belle broke in kindly. There's no need of sending home, Daisy, even if you have a dozen, for I have a sweet blue silk laid away, which I've outgrown, and you shall wear it to please me, won't you, dear? You're very kind, but I don't mind if you don't, said Meg. Now, do let me please myself by dressing you up in style. We'll burst on them like Cinderella and her godmother, said Belle persuasively. Meg couldn't refuse the offer so kindly made, so on Thursday evening, Belle shut themselves up with her maid, and they turned Meg into a fine lady. They crimped and curled her hair, polished her neck and arms with powder, touched her lips with coralline salve to make them redder. They laced her into a sky-blue dress, which was so tight she could hardly breathe, and so low in the neck that modest Meg blushed. A set of silver, silver filigree was added, bracelets, necklace, brooch, and even earrings. 
a cluster of rosebuds at the bosom and a ruche reconciled Meg to display of her pretty white shoulders and a pair of high-heeled blue boots satisfied at last wish of her heart. A lace handkerchief, a plumy fan, and a bouquet in a silver holder were the finishing touches, and Miss Bell surveyed her with satisfaction. Come and show yourself, she said, leading the way to the others. Meg went rustling after, with her long skirts trailing, her earrings tinkling, her curls waving, and her heart beating. Her friends were enthusiastic and chattered like a party of magpies, while Meg stood enjoying her borrowed plumes like the jackdaw in the fable. I'm afraid to go down. I feel so queer and have to rest, Meg said to Sally. You don't look a bit like yourself, but you are very nice. I'm nowhere beside you, for Belle has heaps of taste, and you're quite French, I assure you. Let your flowers hang and be sure you don't trip, said Sally, and tried not to care that Meg was prettier than herself. Keeping that warning carefully in mind, Margaret got safely downstairs and sailed into the drawing rooms where the Moffats and a few early guests were assembled. Several young ladies who had taken no notice of her before were affectionate all of a sudden. Several young gentlemen, who had only stared at her at the other party, asked to be introduced and said all manner of foolish but agreeable things. Margaret got on pretty well, but the tight dress gave her a, con a side ache the train kept getting under her feet, and she was in constant fear lest her earrings fly off and get lost or broken. She was flirting her fan and laughing when she suddenly stopped and looked confused, for just opposite she saw Laurie. He was staring at her with undisguised surprise and disapproval, also she thought. He bowed and smiled, yet something in his honest eyes made her blush and wish she had her old dress on. She rustled across the room. I'm glad you came. I was afraid you wouldn't. Joe wanted me to come and tell her how you looked, so I did, he said. What shall you tell her? asked Meg, feeling ill at ease. I shall say I didn't know you, for you look so grown up and unlike yourself. I'm quite afraid of you, he fumbled at his glove button. How absurd. The girls dressed me up for fun, and I rather like it. Don't you like me so? she asked. No, I don't, was the blunt reply. Why not? His expression abashed her more than his answer, which had not a particle of his usual politeness. I don't like fuss and feathers. That was too much from a lad younger than herself, and Meg walked away, saying petulantly, You are the rudest boy I ever saw. She went and stood at a quiet window to cool her cheeks. She leaned her forehead on the pane, never minding that her favorite waltz had begun. Someone touched her, and turning, she saw Laurie, looking penitent. Please forgive my rudeness and come dance with me, he said with his best bow and his hand out. Come, I'll be good. I don't like your gown, but I do think you are just splendid. Meg smiled, and away they went, fleetly and gracefully. Laurie, I want you to do me a favor, will you? said Meg, as he stood fanning her when her breath gave out. Please don't tell them at home about my dress tonight. I shall tell them myself all about it. I give you my word I won't, only what shall I say when they ask? Just say I looked well and was having a good time. I'll say the first with all my heart. But how about the other? You don't look as if you were having a good time, are you? No, not just now. I wanted a little fun, but I'm tired. Here comes Ned Moffat. What does he want? asked Laurie. He put his name down for three dances, and I suppose he's coming for them. What a bore, said Meg with a languid air, which amused Laurie. He did not speak to her again until supper time when he saw her drinking champagne with Ned and his friend Fisher. You'll have a splitting headache tomorrow if you drink much of that. I wouldn't, Meg. Your mother wouldn't like it, you know. 
I'm not Meg tonight. Tomorrow I shall put away my fuss and feathers and be desperately good again. Wish tomorrow was here then, muttered Laurie, walking off. Meg was sick all the next day, and on Saturday went home. It does seem pleasant to be quiet, she said Sunday night. Home is a place, home is a nice place, though it isn't so splendid. I'm glad to hear you say, dear, for I was afraid home would seem dull after your fine quarters, replied her mother. Meg had told her adventures gaily and said over and over what a charming time she had had. When the younger girls were gone to bed, she sat thoughtfully staring at the fire, then suddenly left her chair and, taking Beth's stool, leaned her elbows on her mother's knee, saying bravely, Marmy, I want to fess. I want you to know all the dreadful things I did at the Moffats. We are prepared, said Mrs. March, smiling. I told you they dressed me up, but I didn't tell you they made me look like a fashion plate. Lori thought I wasn't proper, though he didn't say so. They flattered me, and I drank champagne and tried to flirt and was abominable. There is something more, I think, and Mrs. March smoothed the soft cheek, which suddenly grew rosy as Meg answered slowly. Yes, it's very silly, but I want to tell it, because I hate to have people say and think such things about us and Lori. Then she told the various bits of gossip she had heard, and Joe saw her mother fold her lips tightly, as if ill-pleased such idea should be put in Meg's head. "'If that isn't the greatest rubbish I ever heard,' cried Joe indignantly. "'Why didn't you pop out and tell them so on the spot?' "'I couldn't. It was so embarrassing, and I couldn't help hearing. "'Then I was so angry and ashamed, I didn't remember I ought to go away. "'Just wait till I see Annie Moffat. I'll show you how to settle such ridiculous stuff.' "'No, never repeat that foolish gossip and forget it as soon as you can.' said Mrs. March gravely. I was unwise to let you go among people of whom I know so little. Kind, I dare say, but worldly, ill-bred, and full of these vulgar ideas about young people. I am sorry, Meg. Margaret sat, thinking a moment, while Joe looked interested. Mother, do you have plans, as Mrs. Moffat said? Meg asked. Yes, my dear, I have a great many. All mothers do, but mine differed somewhat from Mrs. Moffat's. I want my daughters to be beautiful and good, to be admired, loved, and respected, to have a happy youth, be well and wisely married, and lead to useful, pleasant lives with as little care and sorrow to try them as God sees fit to send. But better be happy old maids than unhappy wives. Your father and I both trust and hope that our daughters, whether married or single, will be the pride and comfort of our lives." We will, Marmy, we will, cried both with all their hearts.